Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Loyal, your host. By fasting... Let us purify our body, by abstinence our spirit, and by tears our heart. And with a purified soul, we shall meet Christ in the light and contemplate his saving passion, which he, the Redeemer, suffered for us. I hope your Lent is still going well. These were words from one of the prayers of the Byzantine Catholic Divine Office for the Matin service of this coming week. This week is the third Sunday of Lent in the Byzantine liturgical calendar. And if your Lent is not going so well, that's what this Sunday is about. It's about an encouragement, a symbol of encouragement, and that is the cross. What I just read to you was rather interesting, if you noticed, if you're listening carefully. It mentioned in one prayer, our body our spirit, and our heart. It said, by fasting, let us purify our body, by abstinence, our spirit, and by tears, our heart. Now, that is a tall order. Lent is challenging if we're doing it correctly. And notice we even talk about tears. And that's not just symbolic. In fact, if any of you have what they call a chutki, which is a, one of the names for the Jesus prayer rope, that's that rope, or looks like a rosary, but it's not. It's a it's made from a, basically a single cord, and the cord is made into little knots, which form the beads. And on those knots is said the prayer, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's repeated over and over again. It could be 30 times, 50 times, 100 times. In between each 10 knots, there is a special knot that could be used for the Our Father or even to say, Most Holy Mother of God, save us. But basically, this is the Jesus prayer. Well, at the end of that cord, and again, like I said, it looks like a rosary. In fact, it has a cross at the end of it or the beginning, however you want to look at it. And just like the rosary, it has the cross. And the cross, though, when it is formed or made on the Chotki, if it's made from that single thread, that single cord, the cross at the bottom of it is ragged. It's like the cloth is ragged. And it forms a kind of a softness to it. 
And the tradition behind that is that that softness is for you to wipe the tears that come from your heartfelt repentance as you pray the Jesus prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. So the seriousness at which in the Eastern churches we embrace repentance is just that, is very serious, even the point of tears. It's symbolic, but not only symbolic. Yet our repentance, our asceticism, our observance of Lent, the great fast, as you notice from this prayer, is actually very integrated, very holistic. By fasting, let us purify our body, so we do something for the body. By abstinence, our spirit, and when we say abstinence, we mean not only food, but the things we so-called give up for Lent. And by the way, I want to replace that phrase, giving up things for Lent. I want to deepen it a bit. I want you to call it, to refer to it as stepping back, stepping back from certain things. Because you may not be giving them up, maybe not entirely. You may return to them after Lent, or maybe you won't. But what you're really doing is not so much giving up as stepping back. And you're stepping back from those things. These are our habits or things that we like to do that we oftentimes feel or think we can't live without. They become near addictions or even addictions themselves. So in addition to the food, we, of course, back away, or as we more commonly say, give up, things for Lent. It usually has to do with not only food, but habits. Like sometimes people give up television. People should certainly give up some of their cell phone usage. There's a lot of things we can back away from. And we do that, as it says in the prayer, for our spirit. In other words, so that we are living life that is the freedom of the spirit or freedom in the spirit. In other words, we're not ruled by anything. We're not ruled by any passions. We're not ruled by any material things. We are free, and this is why we step back. We step back to reapproach them with a new vision, a more sacramental vision, a more measured vision. So we pull back so that we can return to those things in complete control. In other words, they don't control us. We can either take or leave them. Not that we're callous or insensitive or apathetic, but rather we are absolutely at peace or calm. We're not disturbed by fallen passions, by a craving. We don't say, oh, great, I'm glad that Lent is over. Now I can go back to eating chocolates or whatever it was. If you go back to eating chocolates, if in fact you gave up chocolates or backed away from chocolates, it's okay. But if you return, you do so in a measured way. You can enjoy that chocolate even more. And you won't have to have so many of them because you can enjoy one with a more intensified experience of enjoyment. Believe it or not, that's actually what happens when you step back from things. That's the beauty of the fast. You step back so that when you return, you return with a more measured, more attentive, a more mindful experience of that thing. And you can also choose not to return to it at all. That's how free you are. So something for the body, something for the spirit. And then finally it said, by tears, our heart. Our heart, of course, is that center of our being. It's the center of, out of which we look at all things and we function out of. It's not just a place of feeling. It's way beyond that. It's where we're centered in our life, how we fundamentally approach anything and everything and everybody. That's why Jesus was always bringing the certain questions back to the heart, not to the law, but to the heart. And when we bring things to the heart, we're bringing them to our, our deep central personhood. So it says here, by tears, our heart. A tears means that our central personhood, 
our, our fundamental orientation is correct if we're that mournful to the point of tears. Because when we contemplate God, which is part of what we strive to do during Lent, when we really contemplate God, His absolute majesty, His awesomeness, His benevolence, His mercy, His beauty, His truth, His goodness, when we really contemplate that, we can't help but be moved to tears in relation to the contrast, the contrast of who we are as sinners in relation to this incredible, awesome, inexpressible God. And so our hearts, by being repentant, means that we ourselves are in the right place. We're in the right orientation before God. That extreme humility of repentance, but also of gratefulness, of gratitude. Now, that's going to change our view of life. It's going to hopefully change it as we step back towards those things that we stepped back from. We're going to look at them with a greater appreciation, more measured, more moderation. Our experience of them is going to be more intense. It's going to be more real. We're going to be more present to those things or to those persons. We'll need less of them to satisfy us because less will be more, actually. It's something like the difference between a, a fast food, you know, a bag of potato chips or something, and a gourmet meal. Ever gone to a gourmet restaurant, you know, four or five star type restaurant? You notice how the portions seem very small sometimes, but they're actually very rich. So a little bit will go a long way because it's so well made. The quality of the food is so good. In contrast, what do you do with a bag of potato chips? I don't know about you, but that or popcorn, most of that kind of stuff. I'm not a junk food guy, but whenever I have that, I can very easily sit there and eat a whole bag or at least half a bag in one sitting because that food is a type where one is good but it doesn't satisfy, it makes you want more. So you keep going and going and going. Whereas the gourmet meal, a little bit goes a long way because it is so rich. So it's something like that during Lent. We return with a richer experience of things. So we need less of them. We're not so consumer-oriented. By that, I don't mean just buying things at a store. I mean, we don't approach things with that emphasis or that spirit of consuming you know, grabbing, wanting more and more, bringing it to ourselves like Eve did with her fateful reach in the Garden of Paradise. We don't do that. Hopefully we don't. At least that's the point of it all during Lent. We don't do that after Lent is over. We're in the season of the resurrection. Because remember, the resurrection, everything is made anew. Our bodies are made new. Christ's body is made new and glorified. And so we look at all creation all physicality in this new way, this sacramental way, in terms of its goodness, how it reflects God, how it's here as a gift from God. We just don't take it for granted and consume everything, whether it's a person, an event, TV, food, whatever. We back away from that consumer type of approach to everything. And we don't really realize how much of that we do until we back away from these things to purify our body, purify our spirit, and purify our heart through fasting, abstinence, and repentance. We're going to talk more about the cross, which is put before us this day to help us through this repentance, this purification, which can be pretty rigorous and even sometimes kind of discouraging. 
And that's why the cross is ingeniously put in front of our eyes on this midpoint of Lent, this third Sunday of Lent. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. And then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. You are listening to the choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. This is the music you hear on Light of the East and is sung during the sacred liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. Order online at byzantinecatholic.com. All we ask is a donation of $15 or more, which includes shipping and handling to Annunciation Parish for each Theosis CD. Send a check made out to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. And may God grant you. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. It's no secret that Father Loya and other speakers from the Tabor Life Institute are available to speak at your parish or group on marriage and family topics seen through the lens of St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body. Other topics include Eastern Christian spirituality and the significance of art in the church. The Tabor Life Institute can arrange for marriage encounters, parish missions, and can help your parish facilitate teen faith formation in either English or Spanish. For Father Loya and other speakers, contact the Tabor Life Institute by writing to taborlife at earthlink.net. That's Tabor spelled T-A-B-O-R, life, at earthlink.net. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, your host. I'd like to say hello to some of my friends in the Dayton and Columbus, Ohio area who might be listening. One of them in particular, his name is Tim. I met up with Tim there. He's an avid listener of our program, Light of the East. So I really appreciate that, Tim. It was good meeting you. I'm glad you introduced yourself and told me that you really enjoy our program. So greetings to all of you in the Columbus, Dayton, Ohio area. I was there recently giving a Lenten mission at St. John Chrysostom Byzantine Catholic Church, beautiful church there in Columbus. If you're ever in the area, stop in, experience the liturgy, just see the church, a beautiful church. Say hello to the pastor, Father Bob, he's my classmate. There's also a wonderful little community that meets at a St. Stephen's Church in Dayton. It's a budding Byzantine Catholic community there, and Father Bob takes care of that community as well. So I had the privilege of being with them recently. I was directing the Lenten mission, and it was a a great experience. So thank you to all of you for hosting me. Glad you're listening. Greetings to all of you. Oh, my soul, if you do not turn away from evil, if you do not separate yourself from seducing pleasures, what merit is there in boasting of your fast? Such a fast is not pleasing to the Lord, who only desires our change of heart. 
Once again, I'm reading from the Divine Office in the Byzantine Catholic Church. Notice how what we pray in the Eastern churches is what we believe. It's like what we call dogmatic hymns. You're singing things, you're chanting these things. I'm just reading to you on the program, I read them to you, but you have to remember, whatever I read to you would actually be chanted in our liturgy, in our prayer. But our chant then becomes our prayer, our prayer becomes our theology, our dogma. And we're speaking to God, we're also speaking to ourselves. For example, in this last prayer I just read, we're speaking to our own soul, reminding ourselves, our own soul of something. Oh, my soul, if you do not turn away from evil, if you do not separate yourself from seducing pleasures, what merit is there in boasting of your fast? For such a fast is not pleasing to the Lord, only desires our change of heart. That echoes the words of Psalm 50, the great penitential prayer of the church found in the Bible. That prayer is said by the priest and deacon at the beginning of liturgy, whenever they go around and incense the entire church before liturgy begins, the priest or deacon will say Psalm 50, the great prayer of repentance from the Bible. But the change of heart is what we're after here. Change of heart, another word, of course, would be metanoia. Metanoia means to change. Meta would be like to change. Noia means noia. It's a Greek root where we get our word knowledge. So it's to change our heart because of what we now know. In other words, the insights that we come into. And this is particularly helpful when it comes to our feelings. We tend to think in our culture that feelings define everything. You see all all the time on the news or after a ball game, reporters are always sticking a microphone in someone's face, asking them how do they feel, how they feel about things. Well, when it comes to issues or events, it's not really about feelings. It's about what we think, what we experience, what we believe, what our perspectives are. Feelings are like the indicators on your dashboard. They're indicating something. They're not the end in themselves. When you see on your dashboard, the needle says is close to E, meaning close to empty, it's telling you something. You just don't look at that and say, oh, look, the needle's at E. That's all there is to the story. No, it's telling you to look at something else. Look at your gas tank and fill it. It's leading you to a change of behavior. You have to stop driving, go fill the gas tank. Well, it's the same thing with our feelings. Our feelings are telling us about our belief system, about our convictions, about our thinking. And oftentimes, our feelings are such because of a flawed thinking, our belief system, something we believe about ourselves, about life, about somebody else, may not be accurate or true, or it can be magnified, exaggerated, or it can be underplayed. And so that elicits the feeling. So the change of heart It includes change of feeling, but it goes deeper than that. Either way, the change of heart comes from a change of thinking, of how we're looking at something. And during Lent, what are we changing? We're changing our view of everything that we've stepped away from, in other words, given up, of food, of our relationship with God, of our relationship with our spouse, others close to us, people at work, life in general, how we see everything. We're supposed to be changing that, renewing that, correcting it, making it more sacramental, conforming it more to God's way of thinking and seeing things. So as we do that, we have to change our beliefs, how we look at things, how we interpret things. And that then changes the feelings. It changes our heart. In other words, it changes our person deep down inside. So Lent really is really serious business here. We're talking about a change of ourselves as a person. 
That doesn't mean we become some other person that we're not. It means changing in the sense of divinization, theosis, becoming more and more our true self, not some other self, but our truest self, the best version of our true self. That's what divinization is, theosis, the ongoing growth into the likeness of God. As I mentioned, today is the third Sunday of Lent. We have a beautiful ceremony at Byzantine Church. We embellish a cross with flowers. Usually it's red flowers, red roses or whatever. The priest and the deacons and the altar servers wear red or a deep color. We have deep colors, reds or purples or blacks on our altar covers. And we take that cross, which is embellished. It's placed usually in a round configuration of flowers. And it's raised up on high by the priest. He takes it from the altar, raises up on high, processes around the altar through the icon screen with the altar servers and the deacon. He comes to the middle of the church to what we call a tetrapod, a little table in the middle of the church. And he raises that cross up high. And then he lays it down on the table and then he prostrates before it. He venerates it. And we sing, we bow to your cross, O Lord, and we praise your holy resurrection. And then what happens is people come forward All of them come forward while the cantors are singing hymns. They're singing hymns of the procession. They're singing hymns of the veneration of the cross. Things like this. Today, the king of glory and the master of the universe is nailed to the cross. A lance pierces his side. The one in whom the church finds its sweetness now tastes vinegar and gall. The one who covers the heavens with clouds is now crowned with thorns. The one who fashioned mortals with his own hand is now clothed with the garment of derision. And he is struck by his own creatures. The one who clothes the one who clothes the heaven with clouds is now flogged on the back. He accepts scourging and spitting, insults and blows, and he suffers all that to save the world from death, for he is my redeemer and compassionate God. We sing hymns like this as people come forward to venerate the cross, but we also sing dogmatic hymns like this. This is for the evening prayer for this Sunday, which will be on Saturday night. Rejoice, O life-giving cross of the Lord, paradise of the church, a new tree of life, who bring us the joy of unending glory. There's another verse. Rejoice, O life-giving cross of the Lord, invincible emblem of faith, gate of paradise, rampart of the church, and consolation of believers. Here's yet another one. Rejoice, O first created couple, whom the jealous enemy made fall from on high, by the bitter pleasure of eating from the forbidden tree. Behold, the new tree of life draws near. And it goes on. All these verses go on further. What I wanted to do is to demonstrate to how they all began. That was the key part, why I read them. Each one began with what? Rejoice, O life. Rejoice, O life. Rejoice, O first created couple. So the theme of rejoicing is put alongside the other verses you heard me read of the reality of the cross, you know, the suffering, the death, the redemption. And the reason why the theme is joyful or rejoicing, while we venerate the cross, we raise it up on high, bow before it, is because it's supposed to provide for us an encouraging, inspiring symbol of what our Lenten asceticism, our tears of repentance are all about. They're all about what ultimately is the joy of redemption. We call Lent bright sadness, and it is that. We're sad because we come to grips with our sins, 
We don't deny them. We go to confession. We ask forgiveness for them. But that brings us to a joy, a redemption. The cross is the secret. Let me ask you a question. It's going to sound like a funny question. Would you wear as a piece of jewelry around your neck? You know how we wear things around our neck, little pieces of jewelry and emblems and so on. Would you wear a guillotine or a knife or a gun or a hatchet, an axe? Probably not. But those things were all instruments of capital punishment, of doom and death. But yet we do wear an instrument of capital punishment around our necks. It's called the cross. Now, why do we do the cross and not a guillotine or an axe or a gun? Because it was precisely through the cross, through that symbol of capital punishment, of everything that is bad and dark, it is precisely through that that our Lord triumphs. And that's the mystery of the cross, not just about carrying our cross, enduring pain and suffering. That's part of it. But it's more so that God has the last word. He can take even the worst thing and use it for good, raise it up on high. That's the miracle of our faith. And that's why we bow down before the cross on this Sunday. And we say, we bow to your cross, O Lord, and we praise your holy resurrection. Thank you for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loyal on Light of the East. To hear Light of the East again, visit ByzantineCatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab and on iTunes. Thank you for listening to Light of the East. We encourage you to tell a friend about Light of the East and to visit ByzantineCatholic.com. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. EWTN is now on Twitter. Get short, timely messages from EWTN on your computer or cell phone. It's easy to stay up to date on a wide variety of topics. Pro-life news, Vatican announcements, catechesis, apologetics, the latest EWTN programming, and more. You can link to EWTN on Twitter from our homepage or go to twitter.com slash EWTN. At work, at home, at school, and on the road, stay connected to your world with EWTN's Twitter page. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Wilcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh!